0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe.
2: Welcome to another edition of After Hours
0: with Defoe and Luby. Jeff DeForest, Mike Luby, Lubitz with you on the Believe Podcast Networks and broadcasting around the world and, I guess... Uh, you know what? Uh, we always like to have uh, a, a reasonably, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, revealing intro to uh, any guest that we have, uh, speaking uh, of their greatness and the reason that we would like to speak to them. But uh, I don't know if we can do this one justice, Mike it's, Uh Copy But if night. you're willing to try it, yes. I'll give it a shot here because uh, you know, a horrible singer all time, worst dancer, worst singer you've ever met in your life. That would be me, Jeff DeForest. But here we go on the one, two. Three, you light up my life. Are oh, we welcome to the show? Uh, <laughs> the young lady that uh, had just a, a brilliant hit with "You Light Up My Life" and many others, and a very distinguished uh, Grammy Award-winning career and uh, all kinds of honors and distinctions bestowed upon her, and rightfully so. Uh, the lovely Debbie Boone joins us here on After Hours. Uh, Debbie, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, great to have you on the show.
1: My pleasure, and that was quite a rendition. The lyrics were beautiful. (laughs) What are they? That's our problem.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think Clive Davis is going to be calling, uh, you know, anytime soon to sign us up as a singer. Uh, uh, Tell us about that uh, before we get into this new project uh, that that you're uh, uh, having uh, released uh, the reissue of Swing This. But um, I I mean, I'm sure you've uh, talked about this a zillion times. uh, What the song you light up my life uh, meant to you and, and your career and uh, kind of where it stands in your heart today.
1: Well, you know, when I first heard, when I knew it was a good song. I, I, it, I wasn't excited by it. Um, but I just thought if, if somebody wants me to go into a recording studio and sing happy birthday, I'll do it. Uh, <laughs> so I flew to New York. <laughs> It. it was a crazy session with a very demanding producer who was also the composer of the song. And um, it, for me, that song was always like a, my own private interpretation, and it continues to really be that. But what I love the most about singing the song now is that it is the thing that me to people all over the world. And I can feel people go to some happy place in their memory, some touching relationship. You know, there's a palpable feeling in the room when I sing that song. We all go someplace together. Um, And that's really a fantastic experience.
0: God, it has to be great, too. And it's one of those songs that's uh, almost always, well, at least for some period of time, I think in virtually every human being, no matter what language they speak, that it was in their head for a period of time to the point where, you know, it was kind of like Zager and Evans in the year 2525. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't wait to get that song out of my head. But th- this was one that you could easily and warmly embrace. And and everybody walked around uh, with that. You light up my life uh, on their mind, right, which has to be a sensational uh, kind of tribute and distinction uh, for anybody that's in the music business.
1: Well, for the most part, yes. And I am very, very grateful. But a few people did want to break that vinyl over my head. (laughs) Here's
0: your record, Debbie. I'm using it as a Frisbee. What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah. No, that's great. Uh, All right, Debbie Boone with us here on After Hours with uh, Defoe. And uh, Libby, tell us about this uh, new project that you have, uh, the reissue of Swing This, uh, some very exciting traditional American classics uh, involved in this uh, new release.
1: Well, I'm really excited that Time Life has decided to to put this out there because uh, I recorded it several years ago, but it really was not widely available or exposed in any way. And I do a show still called Swing This and the whole idea Came from when I was in Las Vegas in the 60s at eight years old with my dad. Uh, that was my first exposure to orchestras and that big band sound and uh, you know horn-driven exciting music coming out of the showroom. And um, it it really uh, got under my skin even as a young girl. At Las Vegas was glamorous and exciting. Mm-hmm. And that's when I began to envision uh, a future of, of doing that myself, of putting on a beautiful gown and singing for people and singing torchy ballads and that kind of thing. Uh, and I just wanted to create a show that had that energy and that excitement um, to, to bring to people. And uh, I have wonderful arrangements on, on this album written by uh, my musical director, John Otto, who has since passed away sadly but we have these fantastic arrangements on this album and i'm just glad that more people are going to be able to hear it now
0: was your dad really that calm all the time i mean I, the epitome uh, of just like the kind of guy that uh, that you could uh, wrap your arms around and uh you know i was always going to be there for you uh, re- really like like uh, an american icon uh, pat boone now what was it like uh, a growing up but with Pat Boone as your father and and was he really that calm on all occasions as if he was sitting on the couch with Mike Douglas or something
1: Do you know for the most part that what you see is what you get but when you're his daughter and he gets into daddy mode and you're either disrespectful or disobedient there's a whole new guy in there <laughs> All right
0: all right we didn't see that sign I have to say <laughs>
1: yeah yeah he was he was definitely a strict dad and it came out there
0: well it was interesting the only time i ever saw him even slightly irritated or befuddled uh, was when mark cuban finally said that he wasn't going to buy uh, whatever that project was he was involved in on shark tank and you know it, it didn't hit me right away i was like wait a minute that's pat boone man i, I watched this guy like on the ed sullivan show uh now, uh, I, I forgot what it was he was doing, some kind of thing with, with like, an automobile that was, ran on wheat or something. I, he had, like, an amazing thing he was trying to sell there, and that was the only time I ever yeah, saw him even was, slightly upset. Yeah, he,
1: it ran on air. Uh, oh, okay. Some sort of air. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> And he, uh, you know, to this day, you could get him riled up about that because he was so, he's a car guy anyway, but this just thrilled him. He believed it. he'd seen the science and he just couldn't believe these guys weren't, you know, getting into that uh, shark tank and, you know, going after each other for it.
0: Yeah, I thought Mr. Bigger, you know, was possibly going to be interested in saying, who could turn down Pat Boone? I mean, it's, it was insane to watch this rejection. i never seen it or could have imagined it in my lifetime. Well, that that was did. one of the shocking I, things. And,
1: I'm not yes. going to remember his name, but, but one of the guys did have a contingency plan. So they went away with the biggest deal at that time that had ever been made on Shark Tank, but then he backed out. I just can't remember his name. That's funny.
0: <laughs> All right, well, he was a loser, obviously, because, uh, you know, this sounds like a phenomenal development, uh, that's for sure. Now, will you uh, still be, uh, you know, performing in live shows? Are, are you touring uh, What with the uh, reissue in conjunction with it uh, of Swing This?
1: Yeah, I'm getting back out there. I'm getting ready to do it with a symphony, so we've had to adapt some of the arrangements, uh, and I'm excited about that, um, and, and all the while creating new material to add to the show because we've been doing this show out there. Um, But it's a really fun show to do because I have great stories that accompany these great arrangements. You know, I got to work with a lot of the guys in the Rat Pack and uh, it's really fun to talk about, you know, having been with Dean Martin and worked with Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. and uh, Barbara Streisand in Las Vegas on the golf course with my dad. Uh, and stories like that, that people love to to hear, sort of an up-close and personal story um, that wouldn't have just been something that was blasted all over the news. Uh, so we have a really good time show, and, and, and like I said, the arrangements um, excite me every time I hear them.
0: Just one quick thing. Uh, how did you end up in Hackensack? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, a Jersey girl. Um, oh, okay, my dad was living... Yeah, my dad and mom lived in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey, uh, and I was born in Hackensack Hospital. um, And he commuted in to do his live show, the uh, Pat Boone Chevy Showroom. Um, And um, he was doing—well, actually, he was doing Arthur Godfrey when I was born. But they didn't want to live in the city, so they lived in New Jersey and commuted in for the things he had to do.
0: Well, it was a delight having you on After Hours. Uh, I hope we get a chance to speak with you again. It sounds like a very exciting project. Uh, I was a big fan uh, of uh, Pat Boone, of course, growing up as a kid. Uh, He was on TV all the time and had just that smooth uh, style that that was – Kind of indicative of the times and uh, passed on uh, a lot of musical talent, obviously, uh, to you, Debbie Boone. We wish you uh, the best of success. Uh, you know, someday uh, when we're in Atlantic City, maybe we can get together and uh, share a pork roll and cheese at that <laughs> Wawa gas station and, and get the real feel for what a Jersey girl is all about. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. It was a uh, delight having you sounds, on the show. Yeah,
1: Thank you. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Call your cardiologist Debbie Boone <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen that was Here, classic On After Hours She was great huh
2: She was fun I, I always I grew up not even Really knowing Pat Boone But I've seen They've always had Commercials of him And I've heard References to him And he always seemed Like a more low key guy She has She's really charismatic Like Pat Boone Never seemed like You know Mr. Charisma He seemed like
0: he was Mr. Smooth, yeah. He was
2: very low-key uh, and chilly. Perry bad. Como. And that was like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. kind
0: of the uh, you know way stars were at the time, or uh, yeah, singers yeah. at the time. Very mellow. That's interesting. And casual. She was right? fun. You didn't have like these radical guys. Yeah, no, she was great. Uh, Debbie Boone with us here on After Hours with Tifo and Luby. Jeff DeForest, Mike Luby Lubitz. Now, I-, I don't know if she was any kind of sports fan, and obviously uh, those are interviews that are conducted with somewhat of a time restraint there. Yep. Due to the television time limit, now we will uh, go to the scorecards. Right? No, they didn't have scorecards in wrestling. They would just declare everything a match, every match a draw. Exactly. Television time limit was uh, one of my favorite that. considerations for I any kind it. of a sporting event to be conducted under those parameters of television time limit. I hated it. But you knew that there was going to be chaos going on. Chaos Mayhem rain. in the rings.
2: Chaos reigns always. As they
0: exited uh, with a series of credits, there, uh, your announcer, Gordon Sully. I hate it. <laughs> but I, I don't know if she was any kind of sports fan. I, I was going to ask her, uh, you know, what she thought about the Super Bowl because uh, there, there are some interesting postscripts uh, to the Super Bowl, Mike Luby Lubitz. Yes, uh, there's always going to be speculation about different things. Uh, we talked about it yesterday. The whole idea of Sean McVay walking away from coaching because he hears a rambling Tony Romo making eighteen <laughs> million dollars a year to broadcast on like sixteen Sundays. And that's it. And all he has to do is sit next to Jim Nance and uh, ramble like a homeless person that you just, uh, you know, uh, threw a couple of bucks in a cup to (laughs) on a uh, subway platform in New York City. And everybody uh, in the executive offices of CBS, uh, unfortunately, got duped into thinking that this guy was continuing are going to continue to be interesting, and, and uh, now they they really have the rambling wreck of Georgia Tech right there on their hands. And uh, the standard now for anybody that's getting into the business now, if you're going to get a guy like McVeigh to go off the playing field, I mean uh, he's he's whistling about Tony Romo as he runs into the executive suites there to sign a contract and saying, if that bum's worth
2: eighteen million, right? Give me 25. Well, that's the thing is the more... Like, my first reaction was no, no. Because these coaches, even when there's equal or close money out there, there's something about coaching that just gets under their skin. However, if you can double... Like, if he's only making... And it's not only. I mean, $8 million a year for a coach is insane. But if he's making a little over $8 million a year, and he can get 15 to 20 to do... What is it? of, of 5% of the work? Because NFL coaches work, like, 18-hour days. These guys... I don't think they get into, like, the Friday or the Saturday before a game, and they only what do What do they do? They prep. get
0: into town. They have a couple of cocktails. I've been on uh, national broadcast crews on TV, and uh, uh, even in boxing at, at you know, like, kind of a mediocre, you know, B-level. It was great, right? They fly you in. You get together with a bunch of guys who are going to be on a broadcast. You're, you're shooting a breeze, shooting a shit. Uh, you know, and you're sitting at a table and like Joe Goosen and Arthur McKenney, the referee, and, uh, you know, maybe the producer, director, and they're, they're big time guys. And you're sitting there going, my God, this is great, right? Who's picking up this tab? <laughs> Show time. <laughs> In this case, it was HBO. So uh, that's you know, the thing. And, and you're, you're off having a great time. I mean, it's a great weekend away. You're away from the wife and uh, all of your problems at home. You're getting paid pretty well. I mean, uh, even on minor levels. Who wouldn't want to do this? Well, right. So that's the I, thing. I don't right. know. These these guys aren't poring over notes and playbooks Not. and all of that stuff. Are you kidding me? Do you really need to do that? You, you could go and do analysis on a pro football game and sound just as good as anybody else, J- just with what uh, you know. You already know because what, what really comes to the table is a bunch of cliches. <laughs> well, that's R- really. Do you, do you hear anything particularly uh, insightful? Because uh, they're so busy just uh, trying to make every stupid play sound important, and. That that's what comes across for the most part, right? A lot of cliches from the color analysts. Well,
2: and that's the thing. Would is. you agree? No, one hundred percent is because uh, we, we have Ian Eagle on, so he'll reference production meetings and Aikman and Joe Buck a lot of time on their broadcast Will reference production meetings, so they obviously have some kind of meetings either the Saturday. Well, that's or the good. They before, get to talk to the players, yeah. and that's what they do. So they get a little insight. But no, they're not pouring over notes. They're not killing research. In any way.
0: No. I mean, you talk to the players, you talk to the coach. The coach isn't going to tell you as jack shit about what he's going to do during the game. If anything, he's going to tell you the direct opposite. <laughs> yeah, we're going to run the ball on every play, right? Now he comes out throwing bombs right from the opening whistle. Uh, you know, and the players uh, give you some insight. And it's nice that the uh, announcers pass that along because uh, it's sort of bringing the audience inside the game a little bit. But uh, do they really do so much of it that you have to give a guy $18 million a year? I don't know. A million dollars a ball game plus. And if you're Sean McVay and you're looking at uh, working 800 hours a week, unless he just is one of these workaholic, addicted, uh, you know, guys, I would want to come back if I was a head coach at a Rams. I mean, I, I can't speak for Sean McVay, obviously, but uh, my instinct, I would think at 36 years old, if I just won the Super Bowl would be to say, hey, let me see if I can win another with these same guys.
2: To me, it would be my first reaction as when we've talked about this all week would be, no, there's no way they're gonna bring back most of their roster at least this next year you run it back but if he's getting 8 they offer 20 and he goes to Cronky and tries to do you know the Nick Saban be like hey and they're like well i I got sorry. 20
0: million over here what do you got Stan? if
2: they don't Come with it, then yes. I could see him doing the, I'm going to step away for a year just to screw you because I've done my job. In five years, I've gone to two Super Bowls and won one. Like, who's who does yeah. that? Like, even Belichick didn't do that in his first five years as a head coach. So, like, he's starting a Don Shula, because Shula did that. Like, Shula was young, one with the Colts and the one with the Dolphins. And look what Shula did. Became a top five coach ever. That's what McVeigh's trajectory is right now. So he should be able to write his own ticket. That's the only way I could see him doing it is if, like, his agent is Jimmy Sexton or Jimmy Sexton-esque and tries to pull a move and the, and is just like, no, damn it. Then maybe to spite them. But other than that, I mean, if they're willing to pay him, the dude's got to try and win him back-to-back. Like, I mean, yeah, come on, you got to at least try it.
0: You're not going to be the victim, uh, you know, of criticism for your mistakes necessarily, although you are, uh, you know, heavily scrutinized if you're in the announcers. Yeah, team.
2: yeah, yeah. We, we see but McVay
0: is a natural. I mean, uh, this guy's terrific at uh, talking about the game. So if what they wanted was these uh, technical breakdowns to, uh, you know, the uh, level of uh, excess that uh, networks are relying on color analysts to, to just uh, bore you to tears with uh, different technical phases. Can you remember one thing that Lewis Riddick says?
2: Oh, no, no. And I, were
0: said and, during the course of the season about the nah, game of football, even though he seems to speak about it, you know, with a certain amount of intelligence, I wouldn't say that he didn't know what he was talking about, but uh, who remembers any of that shit?
2: No, nah, no, nah, no one. They don't say anything. The they all say babbling, the
0: same stuff. Uh, you know, about some technical aspect of a two yard run. I mean, please.
2: Well, that's why the, paid Manning, there. the Manning cast was, people loved it so much was because they didn't throw sure. unnecessary drivel. Not everything said was freaking Einstein, but they just said what they felt. They didn't feel the need. And there'd be dead air. Like, they would have no problem. Just you That's the cool part. You'd watch them watching the game. Like, they would stop. When a play happened, there was no talking. And it was okay. Like, they didn't feel the need to just fill it with nonsense. And that's why people liked it. It was more natural. Whereas the broadcasts have totally become a forced proposition. And people don't want that. People want organic.
0: Jessica Mendoza syndrome.
2: Yeah, that's all she does. A-Rod's the same thing. That's why you make fun of A-Rod. The funny thing is A-Rod knows baseball, but he feels the need to talk for all the money they're paying him instead of just shutting the fuck up and just (laughs) letting it come to him. Like that's the problem with a lot of yeah, the I mean,
0: uh, the announcing game has changed, uh, unfortunately, for the worse. But uh, I mean, if I'm McVeigh and I see the money that they're throwing around there, and I'm thinking I got this Ukrainian uh, beauty <laughs> that I'm going to marry here and start a family with, uh, you know, why do I want to work 400 hours a week when I could work like four,
2: like ten, yeah, exactly, it's crazy, <laughs> max.
0: All right, so we've already made up uh, McVeigh's mind. He's an idiot if he doesn't take He's the money. Gone. <laughs> So we accomplished something here today. We we decided (laughs) how somebody else should live their life. But uh, we have no knowledge of uh, what the guy's uh, whole instincts might be. What he feels as a human being. And uh, we're just lucky that we got through another show. Unbelievable. I love He just wants to. We've already retired him. (laughs) I I, I don't know. I mean, it would make sense to me. I mean, people are, are, you know, some people are just summarily dismissing this as if it had no legs whatsoever. But uh, it's being talked about too much to have uh, had no consideration. Uh, on the part of Sean McVay, uh, although you know it makes some sense, and the, the sporting thing to do though would be uh, you can't you can't go out like that. No,
2: no, no. That's at 36,
0: the thing. if he was 66 and he won the Super Bowl, Duh. you'd say okay, yeah, retirement, uh, take those offers and take them to the bank. But you know, you, you would think, I mean, the whole sporting mentality is uh, okay. We're going to come back and defend this title. And yes. who knows? I, I don't know. I mean, with the parity in the NFL, uh, look, you, you need a lot of luck to win. Yep. The championship. It's not just talent. Uh, you, you need a lot of luck to go along with it. Uh, the Rams had a certain amount of serendipity to them also uh, this postseason because they tried every which way to sabotage themselves and lose every ball game, including this last one, the <laughs> yes, Super Bowl. They tried. <laughs> Everything in their power. So, you know, uh, that's the way the sporting world is. And, you know, the, the uh, level of equality right now in the National Football League uh, among the.
2: On the field. Top, on the what, field. What?
0: You would say. 10 teams is pretty even. That's why the Buffalo Bills are perfectly believable to be a co-favorite with Kansas City to win the Super Bowl next year. I mean, they, they knocked on a door this year and they fell short. And, and that's what happens. Cincinnati, I would think, would be a tempting bet at 14-1. Although a lot of people just uh, don't see them getting back there. Yet they they comported themselves very well, even while supposedly being in a position to be totally outgunned. Yeah. And, you know, they did it again in this ball game. They, they had, obviously, a sieve-like offensive line that they, they managed to put. What, what did they have, Flex Seal?
2: I don't know. <laughs> Do in play it, there? That first half. I
0: think keep them out in the first half.
2: I, Raheem, people are talking about Raheem Morris isn't getting enough credit because, obviously, he must have done something at half because he's the defensive coordinator. Well,
0: I, I think they started running uh, these inside stunts. I'm sure. Uh, from With, like, Von Miller. All of a sudden, he was coming up the middle. Yes. While everybody was preoccupied and they couldn't triple team Aaron Donald anymore, so once that uh, was broken down by uh, Raheem Morris, if that was the case from a coaching standpoint strategically, then uh, all of a sudden you know they they had a big advantage again. I think it it's, was great,
2: but I think it's impressive by Morris. And I'm not taking anything away from him and Donald and Miller on the field taking advantage of it, but still for a whole that line sucked. <laughs> like that yeah. line's bad, and they kept those two guys like they kept Burrow clean for that whole half so to me sure it's yeah.
0: impressive and, and they were know? still losing like, which is even more amazing <laughs> yes. so you figure when when it broke down it would get even worse but uh, this atrocious uh, officiating uh, miss yeah, 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 yeah. which was justified by the nfl by the way i mean uh, you know and, and we uh, said this this morning i love it and it might be worth repeating not only did they blow the call but they blew the explanation yes. <laughs> yes. which was uh, put forward by a guy named uh, torbert uh, robert torbert uh, who is a, an official spokesperson or a spokesperson for the officials who, who said that there was no foul on that play. <laughs> that they were well aware of what happened, okay. but no foul, as uh, you saw. I mean, the three-knockdown rule could have been in effect there <laughs> uh, with Jalen Ramsey going down. Now, Ramsey had gotten away with stuff, but uh, that that's, you know, uh, it should be isolated from this particular play, which was an atrocity because the only reason that T. Higgins scored is because he knocked the guy to the ground, yes. w- which uh, probably aided him a great deal in making the catch. Which didn't yes. look like it was going to be easy if Jalen Ramsey was still in his face. Pretty much. So, uh, <laughs> and, and to justify in a way like that in the worst year, that that is a perfect ending. Way to go, Raj! <laughs> a perfect ending <laughs> to this show and, and to the NFL season. Which uh, we say this every year, but this year I think it was more in it play than bad. ever, more in evidence than ever before. Mm-hmm. The worst, atrocious officiating in the history of any professional sport. Was this year's National Football League officiating, which influenced so many games and so many gambles now uh, because of the, uh, you know, the now marriage and infusion of uh, degenerate gambling into the game of football, something that was supposed to be. Absolutely, 100% taboo. On that note, we're going to leave you, Jeff DeForest, Mike Luby, our thanks to Debbie Boone. A lot of fun uh, talking class. with Debbie earlier in the program here, After Hours with Defoe and Luby, Believe Podcast Network. You can catch us on ION Channel, Google The Defoe Show, D-E-F-O, and you'll find the entire archive of our ION Channel shows. So always a heck of a lot of fun uh, every morning on the East Coast from 7 to 9, both audio and video streaming. And uh, for Mike Luby Lubitz, I'm Jeff DeForest. Uh, I hope you guys survive Valentine's Day. I got through it. It wasn't the usual massacre. No frank any <laughs> time for me.
2: I'm proud of you.
0: I threw it, and we're still on peaceful terms. <laughs> nice. And with that, That's a win. if you didn't before, I'm telling you people, you got to believe. Hey, folks, Tony Segretto here. You know, since day one, Catholic Health Services has been part of old school. And since we've started letting people know about them, it's changed their lives. You see, Catholic Health Services, while being recognized as one of the top places for stroke rehab in the country, it's also about a group of people who not just excel in what they do from the doctors to the nurses to the therapists, on and on and on. It's how they do what they do every single day that separates them from the pack. They do it with a passion, unmatched, and the inclusion of family in every step of the process. Trust me when I tell you this. If you want the best unmatched rehab with a special group of skilled, caring people, there is truly only one place, and that one place is Catholic Health Services.
2: They're amazing soups. Again, Landlubbers Raw Bar and Grill. It's nice and easy. Just go to landlubbersbarandgrill.com for both your pickup and free delivery. Thank goodness for Landlubbers for making you always feel right at home. Thank you for listening to
0: Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform.